today's gospel, Jesus warns us to be on your guard for all kinds of greed. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. All kinds of greed, huh? All kinds of greed. Well, let's see. There's a kind of greed where I want more. There's a kind of greed where I want more. Then there's a kind of greed where I want it all. Did I miss any? <laughs> you know, had I been there, I would have interrupted Jesus and said, what are you talking about here? Types of greed or different kinds of things to be greedy for? Well, I Google the word greed. And it said, greed is the intense and selfish desire for something, especially wealth, power, and food. Food? Food? Come on, I thought food was funny. <laughs> but we will talk about foodie greed. When I was younger, there were comedy teams were, were popular. They had teams like Laurel and Hardy, Abbott and Costello, the Smothers Brothers, uh, Lewis and Martin. And there's one skit from that time that stayed with me all these years, and it had to do with a candy bar. And so, for the sake of the tape, let's imagine a 12-inch candy bar. Now, these comedy teams were always made up of one shifty, kind of a conniving straight man, and then a not-so-bright but gullible sidekick, okay? So somehow the straight man got a candy bar, 12-inch candy bar. And the not-so-bright sidekick comes up to him and says, hey, where'd you get that candy bar? I want some. Why don't you share it? Says, okay. Takes the candy bar and breaks it. The problem is, when he broke it, one side came out eight inches, the other side came out four inches. Well, even the not-so-bright sidekick knew that wasn't right. So he goes, hey, that's not right, that's not fair. The smart, conniving, shifty, straight man says, what do you mean it's not fair? You're the one that asked me to break it, I broke it and gave you your half. He says, but that's not half. Throws his hands in the air, takes a bites off about two inches, says, now how's that? Is that better? He waits, pauses, and waits a second. He goes, no, that's still not better. Exasperated, he goes, takes another bite, bites off another two inches. Then he holds him up, and he says, see, now they're the same size. The not-too-bright guy goes, oh, okay, that's right. Takes it and goes off and he was happy. That's greed. 
But the type of greed that Paul equates with idolatry is different. That form is situated in an overemphasis on the self. Self-importance is often the motivation for obsessive acquisition and denying others a share. Paul reminded the Colossians that their newfound faith should result with them stripping off their old selves and those attitudes and then clothing themselves with a new version of the self. But now listen carefully to the wording in Jesus' parable. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. Some translations have it, and I will say to myself, they use the word myself instead of soul. Question for you is, would, it, would the meaning have changed in the parable if the word was soul or myself? So let's pause for just a second and draw a distinction between the soul and the self. The self is a created entity. It's a composite of life experience, external influence, and genetics. And because of those factors, the self is uh, unique to each individual. I am myself, you are yourself, Madre Cynthia is herself, and right now you probably think that's brilliant. But the point is, no one self is actually like another. But every self is capable of change. Every self. The soul, on the other hand, is something that's common to all. For many centuries, the majority of philosophers and theologians have operated under the assumption that human beings have a soul and that they are more or less uniform in essence. How many of you remember the music called soul music? Come on, more of you than that. <laughs> Be honest. Well, for those of you who don't, some of the artists were Wilson Pickett. Yeah? Lou Rawls? The Four Tops, Martha and the Vandellas. Soul music was predominantly a black music genre. And if you were alive then and white, you probably didn't think you had much soul. <laughs> but you did, because we all have souls. And I have a book that's in being edited as I speak this morning. And I tell one story in the book. It's about a band I was in called Gene Redding and Funk. 
And now we have to remember funk and soul are somewhat synonymous, okay? Now in the book, I tell a story of the band, we're on tour, and we had a, a single out called Soul, or I Got Soul, or What Is Soul? The song's words were a call and response. In other words, you say something and then an answer is expected. So Gene, the lead singer, asked the question, says, not, I have to do it in the vernacular and the vocabulary of the song to, for effect, okay? So bear with me. In fact, I'll even do a couple of hand gestures, just so you can get a chance to see what the band was like in 1969. So Gene, the lead singer, which he had this, now for the, I'm clapping my hand. And you say, now, some people, they come up and they ask me, and they say, why do you be doing the things you be doing when you be doing them? And he says, shucks, I don't know. But I tell you one thing, I got soul. And it sure makes me be feeling good, oh yeah. The song's message infers that there is something mysterious that resides in each one of us. And that mysterious thing called soul in each of us does have an effect on many aspects of our life. So I think the word was soul was chosen rather than self because it can also be a euphemism for the seat of our desires. Psalm 42 states that as Christians, our souls now long for God, meaning that our souls can be focused. And if they can be focused, then they can be refocused, right? And they can be refocused in order to see the world differently. Why can't we live in a world where there is no longer Greek and Jew? Why can't we live in a world where there's no longer circumcised and uncircumcised? Why can't we live in a world where there's no barbarians, Scythians, slave or free, but Christ being all in all. Why can't we live in such a world? Let's hone in on the word barbarian. One of the earliest usage for the word barbarian is found in Homer. And what Homer said basically is a barbarian is anyone not like yourself. And there always seems to be this insider-outsider dichotomy whenever people gather and whenever they congregate, doesn't it? There always seems to be an us versus them over a variety of reasons. Even today, there are those who genuinely believe that Christ is a little more visible in their race, in their country in their political party, or <laughs> just in myself. <laughs> Ch 
Christ is a little bit more visible in some and not others. But that's not true, is it? Christ is sometimes visible in those people. And I'll leave it to you to think about who those people are for you. The headlines today illustrate in a profound way how that us versus them dichotomy is lived out. But it is also true that many of our, we live every single day of our lives under some sort of dichotomy of I am a little bit better than the next. Headline or no headline. And that results in us giving ourselves permission to treat others as a little bit less. The Apostle Paul is telling us this morning, please don't do that. Paul is imploring us to see the unifying component that is inherent in the gospel message of Jesus. Frankly, if there's not a unifying message when Jesus Christ's name is mentioned, it's probably not the gospel. Thomas Aquinas, a saint in the Roman Catholic tradition, popularized the Latin phrase exitus editus. And my take on that is that everything, everything, everything comes from God and everything will go back to God. It's close to what Paul said when he said Christ is in all and Christ is all, isn't it? One passage today said, set your minds on things that are above and not the things on earth. But did you know that Aristotle said true happiness, great satisfaction, cannot be found in any form of practical life, meaning things, meaning the stuff that we chase so hard after. But Aristotle also said that when we desire those things, we're to desire them for a reason beyond the object. Example. I was in a rock and roll band very early on, and we didn't make any money. So me and a couple of the other musicians, we rented a one-bedroom apartment. We cardened off one of the bedrooms, and we had one mattress on one side, a mattress on the other side, and the other guy slept in the, basically the living room. But I had a brand new MG. <laughs> now, do I have that brand new MG out of pride? Out of pretension? No, I, I have that because it was a business decision. My peers, all the rockers at, at, at that time, had fancy sports cars. So it made perfectly logical sense for me to have a perfect, uh, a brand new sports car, even if I lived on a cot in a bedroom. But a short while later, I did uh, things my fortunes picked up a little bit. 
I got a nice shiny Jaguar convertible, silver. And I'm driving down the street in Los Angeles in this area called uh, uh, Avenue of the Stars, Century City. Pull up to a stoplight. And I'm just driving naturally. I look over and there's a brand new Rolls Royce to my left. So I look over to see who's driving this brand new Rolls Royce, not knowing that the person who was driving that car was looking over to see who's this young dude in the brand new Jaguar convertible. So our eyes met. I looked at her and she looked at me. It was this actress named Lucille Ball who had a, a, a series at the time, uh, I Love Lucy. She's real popular. Well, do you know, just because she acknowledged me, my driving posture changed. As soon as the light turned green, back straight, neck straight, both hands on the wheel, sing a nice song, and you're just driving along. Because I had been acknowledged as an equal somebody. So, Yes, material possessions can lead to pride. And they can lead to pride regardless of how pure the motivations were when you started. But possessions spoken of earlier, uh, they have their place. We advance as a species by looking at the way people live, that we respect what they have and how they got there, and then we pattern our lives accordingly, and that elevates us as a species. The only downside, the only downside to material, to the pursuit of material possessions is when we look at them as having meaning about who we are. And then we have the tendency to look down on those who don't have. And we see them not as just people who lack, but as people who are inferior. So please remember this. The things that bring us spiritual pleasure can't be seen or touched the way we do with Jaguars and MGs. They're sensory by nature. And that's why we're encouraged to always remember that Christ is alive, exitus, reditus, in each one of us. We came from God, we returned to God. And the good part of that is, no matter what is happening in our daily lives, Christ is never, ever very far away. So I encourage you to find rest in that awareness because it not only brings pleasure, it brings peace. And with peace comes joy. And with inner joy comes an indefinable form of happiness that never, ever, ever disappoints. Amen.